I always ask three questions. Where are we now? Where are we going? And how are we going to get there? Mm. And PPM is weaved in between those three questions. And I always use that analogy of, you know, when, when we're going to take a road trip to Miami, you don't just jump in the car and go. You got to chart that out. Where are you going to get gas? If you're going to spend the night, what are you going to do when you get there? Oh, that's PPM to me, as I explain it to educators, you know? And then by using that type of analogy, they go, okay, because I'm trying to show them that you use process improvement every single day of your life. You just don't realize it. We have processes every day. You get out of bed in the morning. That's a process. You go to bed at night. That's a process. Now, how do we transfer that to student learning? And that's that's how it's become part of me in my everyday talk and, and conversations with educators. Hey, everyone, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we're from the Just In Time Cafe. Welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. And we let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what is on the cafe menu today? Uh, today's highlight is our interview with the charming Dr. Eric Cunningham. Dr. Cunningham is the superintendent for Halifax County, North Carolina, and he's got some inspiring insights on how to build problem solvers in education. For hot apps, we're highlighting one that's right under your nose that you may not be using to your advantage. And for Q&A, we discuss the issue of culture. It's a contact sport, so why are people afraid to engage? It's a great day at the cafe, Tracy. Sounds like it. Up next, it's Hot Apps. Yes, this app is, I'm gonna do a fake drum roll here, your calendar. You know, for some of us, it's become wallpaper and we need to challenge that. So one thing that changed the role of my calendar was another app <laughs> called Calendly, right? It's one of those apps that people use to book appointments with you. So it shows them when you're free, right? Mm -hmm. So I installed that, but then I realized I have to block off more time because they were booking time right before I was like running a workshop or teaching a class. And I, and I was like, oh, well, the reality is I, I do a chunk of time prepping for that. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, that needs to go on your calendar. And then from then I realized I wasn't booking times to do things like write a chapter in Brian Hurley's new book, right? That you did too. Um, I realized I was treating some essential activities as if they'd have to fit in the cracks that were left. But I think you know that if you do that, there's precious little time left. And that made me start booking my calendar more accurately, you know, so it's not simply for activities involving other people. It's even more effective when I use it to carve out my solo work, right? It forces me to consider, you know, how long is that task going to take? And then it forms a deadline, you know, that I've given myself and it's completely changed my relationship with my calendar. So Tracy, how about you? How do you? Well, use you know, I need an entire hour to explain <laughs> my relationship. Yeah, time's short, Tracy. <laughs> Tighten it. 
<laughs> I mean, the reality is I'm pretty much booked every day of every week for the next five months. So I have no time. And so if I need to book something, I need to really like find, I actually need to replace things already. So my issue is I have too much already. So I need, I need to work on some other things before I can allow people to schedule things on my calendar. So uh, an app, I could see the use for calendar. Ca- is it Calendly? And Calendly. I have used it. Yeah. Yes. I have used it for a, when I was almost full-time with a client, uh, I was full, almost full-time, like four days a week. I would basically send them and say, Hey, use this. Cause you know, I've already blocked four days for you guys. So I, I did that. It worked very effectively uh, for that particular client. Uh, but what I'm finding is that um, for my regular life, I it just have a regular life. Who are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to have to cut those pickleball uh, tournaments down to size. That's what I think. Um, actually, here's something that could help you. There's something, another learning I just had. And this is from uh, Amy Lenecker, and she's a leadership consultant in Seattle. And she said, she cuts her hour long meetings down to like 45 or 50 minutes. And, you know, there's a lot of work cultures that result in back to back meetings. And if you have back to back meetings, which I suspect you do a lot, then there's no break. You don't have time to think. You don't have time to answer urgent emails, pet the dog, answer my urgent text, Tracy. Um, no, it's a breathless way to go through life, right? That's it that's is. not good. And you need to think, right? We don't honor that enough in our daily work. So you don't have to, you don't have to have all the answers at the time the questions are asked, right? And mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to contribute to that kind of a culture. So I'm carving mm-hmm. out smaller chunks of time for meetings. And reality is, you often get the job done in the time allotted. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to use my calendar app. Uh, my calendar just to help me and help others spend more time in productive thought there. Yeah. I love that. And I love, I love the idea of 45 or 50 minute meetings. I think that's brilliant. And I think it's a a wonderful thing to start employing. And, you know, I find that if you want people to come to your meetings, you know, they're going to say, Oh, they're respecting my time. I'm going to respect theirs. It's, it's an element of showing respect for people. Look, I know you guys are have to your next meeting to get to. And it is really nice to actually have, a, you know, 10 minutes to reflect like, oh, yeah, I should probably write that down. Let me look at my notes again. So you, you're actually building in time to uh, process, which I think is really important. Yes. I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Dr. Eric Cunningham. Next up, it's what to do when you feel like the culture may not support the change you're looking to make. And my stance is that the culture is a contact sport, right? How you engage, how you participate will impact the culture. And it's hard for people to see sometimes. And I listened to a group of project leaders present their projects uh, just last week. And every one of them described challenges with acceptance of their process changes. but Every one of them did things like, you know, spent time talking to people, walked people through the new process so they could get them used to it, spent time one-on-one with their colleagues, you know, to get feedback and make tweaks to their solutions. And they all succeeded. And this is happening in this case 
and you're familiar with this um, scenario, it's all happening at UC San Diego Health. So when I step back, you know, and they've got a lot of different facilities, but I step back, I see a group of people, you know, every month or so, in this case can be twice a month, um, who have shifted the culture, right? Because it's a contact sport and they have come in contact with it and they are shifting people as they go. So mm-hmm. how about you, Tracy? What's your experience with this? Well, you know, you and I teach the leadership course at UC San Diego. And I think what's interesting about that is sometimes we have leaders come in and they start talking about culture and they start talking about even their own leaders and how their leaders, the people that they report to need to change. And there's a significant shift that we help them do in that class. And that is how will you change though, right? So it's it's sort of bringing back, okay, it's, it's really easy to focus on everybody else and what everybody else is doing, but what can you do? What can you personally do? What are some of the opportunities that you wanna do with yourself and your abilities? And I think it's, it's, it's really, just like you said, it's a contact sport. You need to engage. It can't be enough just to comment and a on your observations and expect everybody else to do something when people aren't contributing. I just, this week, um, I was talking with some folks about, they were saying, you know, people are not giving credit where credit's due. We need to give credit where credit's due more. And, but what I started observing is they weren't doing that themselves. <laughs> and, and so how about you need to start doing that too? Um, or show give me some credit. <laughs> yeah, give me some credit. Give me some credit. No. Uh, but uh, even showing appreciation, people aren't as appreciative. If, and, you know, so how do we model what we want? How do we model what we want in the culture? If, if we're seeing that there's a gap in the culture, how do we start modeling it so that we can make an impact and pay it forward even? You know, maybe if you're nice to somebody or you show credit or you show appreciation that they'll pay it forward too. So I think it is really important to recognize that it is a contact sport and that you got to engage and what can you do that will help. And I'm, I just think I'm so, you know, I, I think it's something that is really, really important. Well, you hit the nail on the head in a way that to me, that, that sense of people talk about the culture as if it was this kind of amorphous thing. But what it does, if you talk about, oh, the culture, you can't do it because of the culture, well, then you don't have accountability. And what you just talked about was, yes, you do. You have accountability. So people get intimidated by, you know, capital C, the culture, and they forget that they're part of it, right? That you doesn't mean you have to stand on a soapbox and demand that people, you know, not text during meetings or <laughs> be more open to change. It just means embrace your role. In methodically working with people, you know, process change involves everyone in the process. And you may have learned a great method, you know, to study a process and come up with countermeasures, but it's all those people that make it a reality. So I'm going to work harder to help people see that up front. You have accountability for that piece of the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's easy to get stuck in the methods of the current culture or the the habits of the current culture. We were talking about how meetings need to be more collaborative. Well, I think what's interesting is I've noticed that there's a lot of meetings that I that I go to where they are one way. It's sort of like one person talking and there's 20 people in the room. It's not collaborative. It's there's not a 
um, a process or a method to say, okay, what do you guys think about that? Let's collaborate. Let's brainstorm. What are your ideas on this? What are your ideas on that? Um, let's kind of walk through it on the whiteboard. And it's, you know, very strange to stand up and go to the whiteboard and start drawing things. I mean, mm. it's just not a normal thing. And, you know, why are the meetings staying stagnant? Why are the meetings staying in terms of a brief, what people say, I'm getting an update or status, and then moving to how do we make this a working meeting? And what's interesting is even though everybody wants it to be a working meeting, they're still doing the same behaviors. And they need to, the only way they're going to change is if they recognize they're doing the same behaviors and know that that's not what they need to be doing. And that is so hard. It is really hard. And so, um, you know, kudos if you're trying something different, you know, you, you know, trying something different because you're trying to intentionally change culture as opposed to just letting the culture be. I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so you can go to www.jitcafe, that's J-I-T-C-A-F-E dot com, and go to our podcast page. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Dr. Eric Cunningham. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Dr. Cunningham? This guy is amazing, Okay. I love him. And Dr. Cunningham is the superintendent for Halifax County, North Carolina schools, and has been a leader in public school systems for decades. He's dynamic keynote speaker. He's an expert in people management, financial management, and community building. He was a part of a groundbreaking effort by APQC, which is American Productivity and Quality Council. And that effort helped bring continuous improvement into public education. And he has championed process and performance management ever since. He's a diehard and we are psyched to have him at the cafe. Welcome Dr. Cunningham. We are so psyched to have you at the cafe. Um, and just how we met and how we got connected, it's through a, a, a mutual colleague so we were part of an effort uh, that was bringing continuous improvement into public education. The, the program was sponsored by APQC, that's the American Productivity and Quality Center in Houston, Texas. This effort was spearheaded by the iconic uh, founder, Jack Grayson, an amazing human being with incredible vision. And he was the first to bring an effort of this kind, bringing Lean Six Sigma into schools. Um, and this is, I'm taking you back. I know we're taking you back, but you were an assistant superintendent at the time. And what did you think of this idea, right? Bringing process and performance management uh, into the educational realm when you first heard about it? Well, it, it resonated deep inside my soul because I've always understood organizational theory and behavior and how to get people out of silos. What this brought to me was the methodology on how to do it. How do you break people out of silos, get them to work together seamlessly and focus on what matters most? And that's efficiency improvements. And when you are aligning people to a shared you know, pool of meaning and it's efficient, I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch. It sounds beautiful, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh... <laughs> 
And well, it's beautiful, beautiful to watch your outcomes, your outcomes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I think um, it made a lot of sense, which is wonderful to hear. Sometimes, sometimes people go, oh, forget that stuff. But it, may, it sounds like it made a lot of sense. But I'm it sure that implementing it, there were some challenges, too. Oh, there were, you know, you have to move from a growth mindset, I mean, from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And when you talk about process improvement, PPM, whatever, continuous improvement, you're talking about a mind shift change from this is the way we've always done it, you know, to how do we fix it and continue to move forward in the 21st century? You know, and 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 how some old practices need to to go away, and new ones need to be born again. You know, birth, uh, and that that's what this program brought to me, and and I was able to bring it into my leadership style. That's what I like most. Um, I love that. I mean, it's funny because on the simple level, what I ran into when I was part of this effort was like, isn't this for manufacturing? Like. <laughs> You know, and I think you came at it from, wow, this is the how to for something that I believe and I see in action. Right. And, yeah. and you're talking about fixed uh, growth mindsets, things like that. Um, so you're you're making me curious. What are some of your philosophies around process improvement? I lean heavily on my big five. Define, measure. Right. Define, measure, improve. No, define, measure, analyze, improve, control, my big five, right? When you come into my central office, you will see DeMayet posted everywhere because that's our problem-solving process. Mm -hmm. Where is the pain? That's, a, that's what I ask. Where is the pain? Where is the pain? How are you measuring? What are you, what, what's your measurement? How are you analyzing it? Now, what are you, what's your improvement program? And then how are you going to monitor it? Then we go back around the wheel again, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what it does, it allows the entire division to sing from the same hymnal. That's what I love about it. And, and then, and, you know, what's what's great about it is that when you have a problem like graduation rates, right, we're measured in schools on graduation rates. That's universal. But there are so many things that can impede your graduation rate that we control. It's not just about students coming to school. It's about students getting accurate transcripts, mm -hmm. grades being recorded properly. You know, you know, it's it's all about those nuggets in that process that raises the standard. And when you hear about schools systems who turned it around with graduation rates or any types of performance, guess what I say? They've worked on their processes. Mm -hmm. They streamlined a lot. They've eliminated a lot of wasteful activities. And that's what I love about what we're talking about today. It tears down the silos and forces us to braid our concepts into one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in Halifax, we call that the lighthouse concept. When you see that braving, that braiding and that weaving, that means we're all on the same page and we're all singing from the same hymnal. We're all charting this new course together. And it's focused on eliminating wasteful activities, activities, time is money. Time is money. When we, mm -hmm. when we hear that it's about the children, it's the children's fault. But then I sit down and I say, okay, walk me through it, your process. I see a lot of randomness, you know, mm -hmm. random, mm -hmm. random activities, arrows mm -hmm. pointing everywhere. You ever seen that, 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 that image where just arrows going everywhere. 
and, mm-hmm. I, and, and and you know, I said, you know, one of the one of my values you asked me is, you know, we all know that there's a problem. This is one of my rocks. Everyone knows that there's a problem, but we must think strategically and holistically in order to solve them. Mm-hmm. We must think strategically and holistically in order to solve them. And PPM, continuous improvement to me, is the glue that holds all those bricks together. So Eric, you mentioned something earlier that I want to revisit. You said that it really changed you in this whole idea of process improvement. It changed your mindset. It changed your approaches. And you said, I've really incorporated it into my leadership style. Tell us a little bit more about how you did that. What what did you do specifically to incorporate into how you lead? Well, because if you come to Halifax County Schools, you know what you're going to see? A library of process maps. <laughs> I probably got a thousand process maps. You know, you, you're going to see fishbone diagrams. You're going, everybody better know the five whys. <laughs> <laughs> You know, to develop the root cause analysis, you know. So these are the questions that I have every day with my principals, with my leadership team, with my teachers, with them all talking about how to take those five whys, determine your root cause, and then utilizing the mayor to solve it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so can, I know So you clearly have done, first of all, lots of mapping. Um, which means um, a legacy of improvement projects and efforts. Um, Do you, I mean, it might be even current or in the past, but could you share an improvement project or effort that you feel like had an amazing impact or just really resonated? Late bills, late bills, late payments. You know, in the school division, we have to pay our bills on time. And what we 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 were beginning to see were a lot of late payments, late bills, and you know late fines because of it. And we started to we began to see vendors who were saying we don't want to do business with you anymore. So you see an accumulation of 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 late fees, and vendors saying we just don't want to work with you anymore because we're a small business, and we need our money net thirty. Not net 180, not net 90, not net 360, net 30. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we begin to see a lot of vendors saying, we just don't want to do business with you, which means we had to push further, farther out. Right. Mm -hmm. And we ended up paying more money for those Mm -hmm. same services because we had to go farther out. So we had to identify the problem. And we sent we sent a uh, you know, we did our side pop. And then we sent a, a, a survey to the vendors and asked them about our relationship. And that is when we noticed that we were net 90, net 120, you know, and that was really a concern. So we implemented a, an improvement program that says we're going to look at paying our bills in net 30 and how do we do that? And so after we charted the first route that we were paying bills, you saw all the randomness. Everybody in the in the finance office was probably doing it differently, and they were doing it when they had time. Mm-hmm. When they so had that was time. one of the root causes for sure. <laughs> yeah, when they had time. So then we we streamlined the process. You know, where where that one person understood the steps, we processed it out. 
then we started to see from net 90 to net 80. From net 80, it started to go to net 75. Net 75, it started, it dropped to 45. Then we, I, I sent out the, um, the survey again, and we started to see that relationship improve. Why? Because they were receiving their payments earlier, and we were able to retain those companies, mm -hmm. which is what our goal was. So we didn't have to fire anyone. We didn't have to write up anyone. See, it wasn't a people problem. It was a mm -hmm. process problem. Mm -hmm. We just yeah. needed to come up with a system, chart it out properly, monitor it, implement improvements. And then when something broke down again, guess what happened? They were able to bring me the process map, the new system, and tell <laughs> me where it broke down. Right. Instead of saying it's Joe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to click the all clear button. <laughs> We forgot to click the print check button. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, yes. Dr. Cunningham. We're on top of it now. It feels <laughs> good when someone can bring you a problem and tell you where it failed and tell you how they improved it and tell you they're on top of it. All mm -hmm. I have to do is listen. Yeah, that's great. Let's um, let's take let's step back and look at the bigger picture. So you were on this journey, right? You're on this journey of process improvement, applying process improvement to education and in the systems of education and processes. And you had mentioned that you were had a coach. You had a coach, our good friend and colleague Colleen Kindler, and you said she was your coach for a while. So tell us how did how did having a coach because we all love Colleen. Colleen's a great coach. But how did having a coach ha help you? What were some of the key takeaways that you got out of having a coach? Colleen was one of the best. I've been in this business 32 years. 32 years. Colleen was one of the best sounding boards I've ever had. Because she was able to focus on what I was trying to accomplish. She wasn't she wasn't telling me what I needed to do. She was able to guide me to solving it myself, which taught me how to continue to do it in her absence. Mm -hmm. And that is what a good coach. That's what they do. They, 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 they fill you up with the information so you can go alone out of that silo and manage your entire team. Colleen was excellent at doing that. And what I loved about Colleen and working with her for the few years that she and I worked together was her gentle nudging. Mm. We had some, you know, when I was with Colleen, we rolled out uh, a one-to-one -one program with Apple, with Apple devices for grades, I think three to 12 or something like that. And our network was couldn't handle that many devices. So we had a network connectivity problem with all these devices. And we had spent millions of dollars on these devices. Through the help of Colleen, we were able to solve that problem. And this is what I love about successful initiatives. I have been out of that district for seven years and they're still following the process. Uh, we'd so, love to hear that. They were that. able to build on it. And I'm sure it's not the same, but they were able to build on that good foundation and do other things. Um, a legacy, which is like you said, that is just when you, I've seen those happen like decades later and it's just like, Wow. Yeah, and um, Colleen was instrumental in helping me embed that mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. her gentle doing it. Come on, Eric, you can do it. Because you know, when you're dealing with 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 egos, 
and you're trying to get people out of silos, you know, they, they, they see why, you know, that they, you know, mm-hmm. they blame other people. Yes. It's, 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 it's Harold's problem. It's Joe's problem. We don't do that over here. It's <laughs> not my, you know, that's not in my job description, but Colleen was able to give me the skills to, mm-hmm. to navigate through those, through those comments and how mm-hmm. to come back when they say those things. Mm-hmm. And that um, helped out a lot. That, that helps them, you know, it's that, you know, lower their guards, mm-hmm. their, their guards, uh, their vulnerabilities are exposed. And now I'm able to build them back up again and make them stronger. And that's because one thing that, you, especially in marginalized communities where I work, you don't have a deep bench, if you know what I mean. You don't have replacements. You don't you don't have people that can step up and say, you know, you put an advertisement out and you get 75 applications. That's not the case here. Mm. We have to grow our people up, love them where they are, mm. and then teach them new ways to grow. Mm-hmm. And this does that. Um, that's a great quote. Love them where they are. Um, so this is fascinating also because I know when you started this and when you were working with Colleen, you were an assistant superintendent. Associate. Mm-hmm. Associate. Okay, yep. associate. Mm-hmm. And so you had, like you're describing, you had to really um, learn influence skills and how to, like you said, uh, grow people from within. Now you're the uber boss. You're the superintendent. Yep. <laughs> and you, number one. So, That's right. <laughs> And I know you still are using um, all the leadership skills you you uh, gleaned over those years, but what are some ways you operate differently now? Um, you're in this position. I have clarity. Mm-hmm. I do. I operate with a sense of clarity. I always ask three questions. Where are we now? Where are we going? And how are we going to get there? Mm-hmm. And PPM is weaved in between those three questions. You know, how are we going to get there? That's PPM. How am I, you know, we're, and I always use that analogy of, you know, when, when we're going to take a road trip to Miami, you don't just jump in the car and go. You got to chart that out. Where are you going to get gas? If you're going to spend the night, what are you going to do when you get there? Oh, that's PPM to me, as I explain it to educators, you know? And then by using that type of analogy, they go, okay, because I'm trying to show them that you use processing process improvement every single day of your life. You just don't realize it. We have processes every day. You get out of bed in the morning. That's a process. You go to bed at night. That's a process. Now, how do we transfer that to student learning? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's, 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 that's how it's become part of me in my everyday talk and, and conversations with educators. I wish PPM, I wish a, I wish APQC, I wish all of that could be spread out throughout all school divisions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on that note, what do you think is the toughest challenge that you face in terms of resistance or barriers? Do you feel like, what, what do you feel like is the, the challenge for you in this role to even, spread it, spread the word? <laughs> yeah, even in, um, even as number one, you still have to deal with ego mm-hmm. and silos, especially when people have been in those silos for decades. Mm-hmm. They're real thick, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and some have moats around them. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and you got to figure out how to get them, how to get in there. 
you yeah. know, that's the, and that's the art of leadership. See, that's an art. You know, there is no chapter in the leadership book that tells you how to do that. That's art. You got to finesse that. PPM gives me the ability to finesse because it doesn't blame them for the shortcoming. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're absolutely right. It doesn't blame it's a, it's a safe environment, right? Mm-hmm. It's you're not blaming them. You are focused on the process. It allows them c- to contribute and recognize that there's pain and and contribute and not feel like they're getting blamed, which I think is really important. So then you you're building a little boat to get past that. There boat. you go. You got to get over there, right? <laughs> that man-made bridge, you know, to get over oh. there and 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 do that because they say, well, Doctor Cunningham, he's a superintendent, but he's not after me. He's actually trying to make me better. So let Mm. me sit down with him and hear what he has to say. And then it allows you, because you can uh, tackle that low hanging fruit. See that PPM, when you do it, you don't start with the most complex issues. You start with those easy wins, you know, high impact, low cost, you Mm. know, you know, and then once they, you pick up a few easy wins, it starts to pick up it starts to pick up and then, you know, you're, you're really starting to see good, good organizational efficiency. In my district alone, I was able to trim the central office staff, focus more resources on the schools. And yet my central office team is not feeling burnt out mm-hmm. because we're more, we're, it's linear. It's more focused. It's linear now. Mm-hmm. So you so- were able to become more efficient and leverage people in a better way that in, that they could do more important things because you didn't have to work on back office stuff because it was more efficient. It's, it's becoming more efficient. And when you have turnover, this is the this is the beauty of it. You will have turnover. We're in a we're in a labor shortage. This market. Mm-hmm. You will have ta- But when you have your processes and a way to solve problems embedded within the, the the foundation of your school system, when the new person comes. They already have where where they left off because we documented our processes. Mm-hmm. We uh, documented. It's and music so to our ears. They just pick up where they left off. You know <laughs> how to pay bills. Go to the recipe book. I call them recipe. Go to the book. Recipe book. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, so just because we have the inside scoop on you, because Colleen worked with you for a few years, we happen to know that you played basketball when you were younger. And I'm always curious because I find just any kind of team sport, I feel like it impacts how you move in the world. I mean, kind of literally and also as a leader, as a collaborator. Um, Is there anything you feel like you draw from that experience? Oh, yes. Everything. My time playing basketball has shaped me today because you know, basketball is a team sport, a team sport where everybody has a as, as a role, but yet we all must come together, you know, during the course of a game and maybe do some things that we wouldn't normally do in practice, like dive on the floor for a ball, going for, you know, taking the last second shot, rebounding out of everywhere. You know, those are team activities that you say, well, I'm not the, I'm not the center. I got, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down low with them big boys. No, we're trying to win this game. So it forces us to work together as a team and do those things because we're all focused on winning, winning, winning. And we all understand the game plan. So I really believe that basketball equipped me in that endeavor to do what's needed to do. When I first got the job here in Halifax County, we had a problem with, um, you know, overgrown shrubs and 
and and and and things. And I didn't think that the way the school, the the, the shrubs and and the trees that you know would give in times when I needed my first responders to bust up in that room. I didn't want them moving around trees. Make sense now? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I had to clear it out. I had to clear all that out. Well, people first looked at me and said, Dr. Cunningham, why are you taking up all these beautiful trees and things like that? And then I had to explain it to them that if we had an active shooter or some kind of situation, look how many barriers they would have to go through mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. in there. And I had to explain that to them. And then once they understood the why behind all of it, no problem whatsoever. And we donated all the shrubs. We gave oh, them all away, which tied it into the business, you know, to, you know, that community empowerment. Uh-huh. The team sport. That team sport. And it was all about bringing us all together, focus on winning and what winning looks like. And mm-hmm. that is how I was able to connect that basketball, you know, and because guess what I did? I showed up in my steel toe boots. I'm the superintendent. Uh-huh. I had my gloves digging up those shrubs just like everyone else back hurt <laughs> so for days it's been a few years yeah it's been a few years but 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 that basketball made me you know that that what's inside of me mm-hmm. hey we can do this together come on mm-hmm. let's go let's go but how did that motivate my team mm-hmm. my maintenance yeah. team it was like we got the superintendent out here he's not gonna outwork us Right. Yeah. Let's get us back to hurt. Yeah, just pulling them up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And you know, but that motivated them. And what did they say? He's one of us. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's not Dr. Cunningham. He's Eric Cunningham. He's Mm -hmm. one of us. He's one to get with it. But that's basketball. See it? Yeah. That's basketball. You have to sometimes play out of your position. Uh (laughs) When someone's injured, when someone can't do it, you have to play and fill that role. That's what basketball taught me. I love it. Definitely. Thank you. I love it too. Eric, I just have, I have another question for you too. So, so you've been doing this for many years now and I do um, a lot of work with UC San Diego. They're trying to implement process improvement in education as well. So they offer public courses for Lean and Six Sigma. Elizabeth teaches there as well. And, you know, we're seeing some of the universities, the other California state universities coming along now uh, wanting to implement process improvement. Are you seeing a, a good amount of movement in education now? Do you feel like, I, you know, I think sometimes people say, well, we're not where we need to be. <laughs> um, so any thoughts on that in terms of education, embracing process improvement as a whole? What are your see, thoughts? See, process improvement is not a widget. We're used to widgets. Mm-hmm. Buy this program, buy this computer program. You're not doing that. Yeah. You're talking about a way of thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A methodology that you can't see, you can't touch. It's all here. Mm-hmm. It's up here and in your heart, you know? And then people really don't understand the gains until they see that, hey, I have more time now at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I have no more late bills. Our our student outcomes have increased. <laughs> you know, and th- that's when you really start to go, wait a minute, something is happening. It's not <laughs> magic. Yeah. It's processes that are improved. Everybody's on the same page. 
And because of that, you're starting to see, you know, we're in education, we're used to widgets. We're used to buy this program and you'll improve in 30 days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what you're talking about is a way of life. You know, it's, 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 it's a way of life. It's how you look at the world. And, and, and that's harder for educators to embrace, especially yeah. when they didn't develop it. See, we didn't develop yeah. that. We're borrowing it from another, another industry and mm-hmm. we're now making it our own, you know, and, 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 and so, but I do see it happening. Now, sometimes people call it plan, do, study, act. Mm-hmm. Follow me? Yeah. That's BGM. <laughs> that's continuous improvement. You know, yes. so we just call it different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Make the language, speak in the language that people understand. There's no reason to create a Tower of Babel that just impedes, you know, the good work you want to do. So, yeah, communication is, is uh, you, you meet people with the language they're using. Uh, that's when, when in Rome, right? When when in Rome, Rome, yeah. you, you, you have to recognize that. And so if you want to call my PPM plan, do study act, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Whatever works. <laughs> I'm yeah. Just understand I want these processes. I want them in place. I want to, I want to, I want to know how you're defining your problem, measuring it, analyzing it, improve, call it whatever you want. But if I can see those five tenets in your work, we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. So Tracy and I, uh, one of the things we try to do when we are with uh, organizations, if they do a great, someone does a great project, creates a new system, are there ways we can replicate that? So right now we're going to figure out a way to replicate you and oh. just clone you across the country <laughs> so that You're all school systems can have Dr. Cunningham. Oh, um, this has been such a joy listening to you, like what, how lucky that district is and what great work you've done and continue to do. Um, you and your steel toe boots, uh, what a great legacy wherever you go. Uh, and how can people contact you if they wanted to? They can contact me. Thank you for your kind words. But you can reach me on LinkedIn. Dr. Eric Cunningham, I'm there on LinkedIn. You know, you know, uh, and just, we, you, you know, reach out to me. Awesome. <laughs> we will put a link to Dr. Cunningham in the uh, in the notes in our post. And uh, it's been a joy having you at the cafe. I'm sure we're going to get you back. I would love to come back. Anytime you talk about bringing people together and making them more efficient to to accomplish shared goals, you call Dr. C. (laughs) Dr. C on (laughs) speed dial, Dr. C. Dr. C. (laughs) Take care. Thank you for having me. Bye now. Be sure to register for our February 23rd webinar featuring Kim Crowder, who is Lean Six Sigma trained and an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she's got a recipe for integrating DEI and LSS. DEI, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And LSS, you know, Lean Six Sigma. So do not miss it because it's going to be good. We've been so psyched to have your company. This past year was fabulous. And this year is already outdoing last year at the cafe. So stick with us. So, yeah, stick with us. Come every month and get your jolt of lean caffeine. <laughs>